0: May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, and as I mentioned today is uh, known as Boxing Day in, in so many places in the world, but yet the holiday has lost its significance. It actually started uh, as a way for the the upper class, the landed gentry. Uh, whose servants waited on them hand and foot throughout Christmas Day to have their own celebration the day after, where they would receive gifts. It's also a time for almsgiving. Other traditions have it, where there were alms left at the church in boxes. And there are so many other traditions that you could probably look up. I've kind of read through some of this stuff this morning and, and preparing. I don't have it all committed to, to memory. But sadly, the one thing we can say is that the holiday has lost its significance. Significance because throughout the realm and throughout the United Kingdom, the way they celebrate Boxing Day is returning gifts the, the day after Christmas. And it's also a, a day for horse racing and other sporting events because St. Stephen is also known as the patron saint of horses. So uh, how about that? I didn't learn that in, until this morning. But he actually is a personal hero of mine, because when I was ordained as a deacon... Twice, actually, once as a Presbyterian, uh, did that for a few years, almost became an elder and then we got moved to Montana and that nixed that. But then by the time I found my way into the Anglican parish before I knew it, uh, I was going into holy orders. But I remember when I was ordained as a deacon on the day that I was ordained, I remembered one concept in my mind of what St. John the Baptist said. St. John the Baptist said that I must decrease so that he, the Lord, may increase. So I knew from the very beginning that it was never going to be about me. It was ultimately all about serving the Lord Jesus Christ, my King, my Lord and Savior, and serving others, that that's what this was, would be all about. I even told Mike Watkins the day that I was first ordained as a deacon. I said, Mike, I am a dead man. I am dead from this point forward, dead to myself but alive in Christ. And we're living in a day and age now where we have to seriously count the cost of what it truly means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I can tell you that we've been comfortable for how many decades in this country? Very comfortable in practicing our faith, very comfortable in coming to church without very many hassles. But the persecution is already starting to heat up in a mild way. But we cannot compare being flamed on Facebook or other forms of social media with the true persecution that exists elsewhere in the world. In fact, I read an article here. This uh, came out of um, a Pew Research poll and also a site called uh, uh, Statista. It's actually... they. Gather data and they disseminate data and all that. But this is what they say about the index of persecution of Christians in the year 2020 21. In this year, uh, North Korea and Afghanistan were the countries with the strongest suppression of Christians with an index value of 94 each. Okay, well, what is this index value? The index ranges from zero total freedom to worship and practice our faith, uh, to 100, which is total suppression. So they're right there at 94. And the survey for the World Watch List included various aspects of religious freedom, the legal and official status of Christians, the actual situation of Christians living in the country, regulations from the state, as well as factors that can undermine the freedom of religion in the country. And we've heard where this takes place. I mean, how many of you have heard of the 1040 window? Okay, those are the coordinates in the world uh, in the Eastern Hemisphere where the most persecution takes place. And we have a top 10 list of countries. Of course, North Korea at the top, followed by Afghanistan, followed by Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, and then Nigeria. Comes in right after Iran, before India, Iraq, Syria, and Sudan. So so Nigeria ranks as one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth, ninth place. Okay. Yet, in Nigeria, makes up 25% of the worldwide Anglican communion. You have more Christians, more Anglicans, rather, who go to church in Nigerian churches than anywhere else in Canada, the United Kingdom, and the United States combined, 25%. And we are a part of that, of that mission effort. And, of course, we see so many who've moved to our country. That's why we have churches just all over the place. A few of us, percentage-wise, are Westerners. But the one thing that they absolutely have is a missionary zeal to plant churches, to proclaim the gospel, because ultimately that's what it's all about, is proclaiming the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, being obedient to the great mission. So St. Stephen actually was the first martyr of the church. Let's talk about him for, for a moment. Now, now St. Stephen, we begin reading about him in the book of Acts uh, under uh, right there in chapter 6. Okay, this is where there, there was an issue. And I'm going to begin with Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, those are the Greeks, And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient of the faith. The Jewish priests became obedient to to the faith. So now we pick up in verse 8 where Stephen is seized. Now I'm going to stop right after verse 8 where we read, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then verse 9, some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, of those of Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. Okay, so those were actually the Greek Jewish converts that actually rose up. Because remember, uh, at the time, it was all under Roman occupation. And uh, and the Jews had to be very careful with how they enforced their laws. More on that. So then what we read after we read the account when he was seized. And then we jump down to verse 15. Well, let me start with 13. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that... This Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that, uh, like the face of an angel. Like the face of an angel. Now, when we hear that phrase, face of an angel, how many of us might describe a newborn baby that way? Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. Okay, because angelos in the Greek, messenger of God. So in other words, he had the face of a messenger of God. Now, we don't know whether that looked fearsome or just maybe looked intimidating. I would say the the latter was probably more more correct. So then uh, then the high priest asked the question, are these things so? And Stephen said, and then he gave a complete history lesson of redemption. Let me quote a little bit of uh, Oliver Cromwell. Cromwell. Anyway, it's early. Cromwell. Okay, this is, um, comes out of Barclays' commentary. This is uh, really interesting. When the Lord Protector of England, Oliver Cromwell, was outlining the education he thought necessary for his son Richard, he said, I would have him know a little history. It was to the lesson of history that Stephen appealed, clearly believing that the best form of defense was attack. He took a bird's eye view of the history of the Jewish people and cited certain truths as condemnation of his own nation. Okay, and you can read the whole narrative. I won't read the whole narrative for you, but it's absolutely there for, for, for you to read. But, but essentially, the, the lesson that we see in St. Stephen's example is this, is that number one, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, he boldly proclaimed the truth, knowing well who his audience was. Okay, these are the people who needed to be reminded of a history lesson. Okay, you're going to accuse me of blasph- blasphemy? Okay, well, let me tell you the story and what this actually means. All right, and, and you know, uh, we knew what was coming as, as we read through it, because then when we get down to the, to the stoning of Stephen, we, we, I'm going to pick up now in chapter 7, verse 51. And this is where, uh, where St. Stephen finished the, the long sermon with, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Wow, those are fighting words, aren't they? Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now have betrayed and murdered you who received the law as deliverers by angels and did not keep it. Wow, those are some some words. And then now they heard these things, they were enraged. They were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of their city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Who would later get knocked off his horse on the way to Damascus. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And then chapter eight, verse one, and Saul approved of his execution. So what had happened here and what had taken place absolutely fulfills what we also heard in the gospel passage today. In this is where it begins in St. Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus had proclaimed seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. And what is a woe? It is, a, it is essentially a condemnation. Okay, this is what I'm condemning you uh, for, and here's why. But then when we get to our passage today, I'm gonna begin with verse 29 of chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! some of whom you will kill and crucify. Some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And that's exactly what was fulfilled at the martyrdom of St. Stephen. But what happened here in, in this whole incident, keep in mind that the Romans were the occupiers at the time. So they didn't sanction this killing, right? This was essentially a lynching, okay? And, but ultimately what had happened, did that stop the advance of the gospel? No, it, it surely did not. And the irony of ironies, the one who approved of the execution would then later become St. Paul, who took the gospel to the ends of the earth, to all the Gentiles. And and that that is just amazing. But but look at what happened also as a result of the stoning. I'm going to read on in chapter 8 of the book of Acts. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Preaching. Euangelion. That's where we get the word evangelism. They were evangelizing. That's exactly what they were doing. So by way of application... Let me just say this, that um, we absolutely have our marching orders from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, as we go out bearing witness, and keep in mind that the very word witness in the Greek is martirius. That's where we get the word martyr. Okay, so some are called to be martyrs to their death. But all of us are called to be martyrs in our life as we live, as we have blood coursing through our veins, as we have the breath of life in us, as we have the breath of the Holy Ghost in us. Let us be empowered to boldly proclaim the word of God. I can't promise you that things are going to get easy any easier moving forward. Um, It's one of those things where 2019, I didn't see what 2020 would be like, and I certainly didn't see what 2021 would be like. Who knows what 2022 is going to be like? That's okay because you know what? Our days are in God's hands. It's what we do with the light that we have that remains within us, and the gifts that the Lord has given us to advance His kingdom. Not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And this I say in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost.